Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today, Mary Lassity. She's the Walton Professor of Information Systems and the Sam M. Walton College of Business and the Director of the Blockchain Center of Excellence. And she is a prolific researcher. She ranks sixth in the University of Arkansas for most citations, not just in the business school, but in the entire university. In fact, one of her articles that was published in MIS Quarterly, which is the top journal in the field, has been cited 1,300 times. She has 120 papers that have been cited at least 10 times. On top of all that, today we're talking about her book, her newest book, which is called Blockchain Foundations. And the subtitle is For the Internet of Value. And what's remarkable about this is this is her 30th book. And this isn't a short book. This is 468 pages. So <laughs> it, it's... Uh, and it's got a lot of great content in it. Uh, Mary's done a lot of research on uh, robotic process automation and um, service automation and these kinds of topics. And she's also become an expert in uh, blockchain. So Mary, thank you for taking time to uh, visit with me today about your new book. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you about this. I wanted to mention too, that she waives all royalty fees for this book. And um, this is published by Epic Books, which is an imprint of the University of Arkansas Press. So she's really making a contribution to the university and the college. So thank you for doing that, Mary. Well, Matt, I think it's very important because we really are going to use this book in our classroom. And I didn't want to charge students for a book that I wrote. Um, so I wanted to keep the price low and make it accessible. So the title of your book is Blockchain Foundations, and the subtitle is For the Internet of Value. Where did you get that title? So I was listening to people like Ginny Rometty, the CEO of IBM at the time, and reading Don and Alex Tapscott's book, Blockchain Revolution, and they provide this image of moving us from an Internet of Information, which is what we have today, to an Internet of Value. Okay, so what the heck does that mean? Well, an internet of information works by seamlessly sending copies of information to each other. So Matt, when you send out an email, you're sending out a copy of an email. But an internet of value, we're gonna seamlessly exchange value, but we can't send copies, right? So if you send me a, do a dollar, you're not allowed to keep that the copy of that dollar. So blockchains are the foundations that help us pivot to an internet of information, to an internet of value. Interesting. Before I started reading your book, one of the things I noticed real quickly was that you talk about applications in financial services, supply chain, energy, and credentials. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, there are a lot of other potential applications, as you mentioned, even in your book. But those are four areas that you really focused on. So I would think that would say something about who, who your audience is. And so I'd like to ask you, who, who is the primary audience? Okay, I see uh, two 
primary audiences for this book, students and professionals who want to go on a learning journey. So there's a lot of blockchain books out there. If you Google that on or go to Amazon.com, you'll see a lot. But they're all from a particular perspective. So it might assume you're a software developer or it might assume you're a CEO and just need a cursory look. I wanted to take people on that journey of really understanding what is the vision for the Internet of Value, peeking under the hood, understanding how these blockchain technologies work, and then looking about how they're being applied in um, traditional enterprises as well as in startups. And so you mentioned a couple of the industries. Well, those are really the industries that are the early adopters, financial services, supply chain, energy, um, credentialing is, is also another big and uh, important area for an internet of value. Well, you know, just a couple of years ago, you published a book called Blockchains for Business. Yes. So <laughs> is this an update of that book or I know it's not actually, but uh, what's changed? What made you decide to write another book in just two years? Okay, well, it, it, it is a, a significant update, but really the big difference was in 2018, when you were talking about enterprise adoption of blockchain technologies, at that time, it was just really aspirational. So there was a lot of activity going on. There was a lot of proof of concepts, people developing thing in sandbox environments. And really what happened in 2019, 2020, is we started to have the first generation of what I call blockchain enabled um, solutions for ecosystem level challenges. So that's really what the book focuses on. It's now real for early adopters. Okay, before we go any further, and I know you've done this for me before, but for our audience, you know, there's a lot of people that are interested in blockchain. Could you give us a definition? What, what is blockchain? You know what? I have to tell you, Matt, I hate that question. <laughs> and I'm okay. going to tell you why. Okay. Um, because it puts the technology first, right? And so we're business people. So what I like to talk about is what, do, what does blockchain technologies enable? And really what it enables is the sharing of data and the exchange of value in it at an ecosystem level. So for me, the best way to think of an analogy of what it enables is right now, most organizations keep all of their systems of record inside the boundaries of the firm. So they might have Oracle or SAP and every single company has their own information systems. What a blockchain solution enables is a shared application across ecosystem partners. And the idea of the unlocking of value is um, lower transaction costs, better IT resiliency, faster settlement times, shared views of, of what happened in the events between these partners. So we don't have to reconcile events. So I like focusing on the value. And then when you wanna learn about what the technologies are, then you could focus on consensus algorithms and cryptography and smart contracts and digital ledgers. But if you talk about that stuff first, I think it turns business people off. They think of it as hype. Um, and, and it's really just a part of an overall solution. Mary, I think that's such a good point. Yeah, because when we think about the World Wide Web, today, if you were to ask someone about, you know, what is the World Wide Web, they wouldn't start talking about all the technical stuff. Back when the World Wide Web first came out in the 90s, people did sometimes, you know, if you ask them, well, what is the World Wide Web? They'd start talking about these technical details. and No one had any idea what it really was. And, you know, it's interesting, too, to think about, you know, during the dot-com boom, everyone was getting involved in using 
you know, the, the, the World Wide Web for selling things, you know. Um, of course, Amazon started selling books, um, but they were using it for all kinds of things. And um, there were a lot of B2B applications too. And when software as a service first started back then, they didn't call it software as a service. They called it uh, ASP. Yep. Application service provider. I, I know because my software company was an application service provider. I didn't know, I didn't even understand that completely. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now it's called software as a service, which really is better than application service provider. I mean, software as a service, you get it. Okay, yeah, it's it's just a service they're providing. And it doesn't have to be on my computer. But I think you're you're smart for focusing on the value for business people. In fact, it, it's probably a waste of time for business people to learn lots of details about blockchain technicals, don't you think? Oh, yeah, they. I mean, you don't need to. I mean, just like any other technology that comes along, the real challenge is in this particular application is learning how to work with partners outside the boundaries of the firm. So figuring out shared intellectual property, figuring out a business model, figuring out shared governance. I'm going to say 90% of the challenges of getting value from this technology are all these managerial issues, not the underlying technology itself. And, and you see this in, in all kinds of things. One of our supply chain colleagues just recently had put out a couple of uh, questionnaires on LinkedIn, and they were asking questions about what are, what skills are most important for supply chain management. You know, you might think it's systems thinking or analytical skills, on and on, right? Well, the one that won out every time was relating, mm. being able to relate to people, relational skills. I don't remember what he titled it exactly. But, you know, I see this more and more in almost every area of business. The challenge is leading. And so especially when you have something like this, new opportunities for a technology blockchain, leadership is what's needed right now. But Matt, you are a leader, and I'm just sitting over here smiling because I have a book on my shelf written by Matt Waller and Professor Professor Van Hook and Brian Frugate and one of the PhD students on blockchains and supply chains. So you wrote one of the first books looking at a deep dive of the applications of this technology in your area of expertise, supply chain. So I just want the audience to be aware that uh, we've got a number of experts and visionaries on blockchains on this campus. Well, thank you for mentioning that. You know, it is true. When I first read about blockchain, my mind went immediately to inventory management and forecasting because that's my expertise. And from a theoretical perspective, information can substitute for inventory. And inventory is expensive to hold because it ties up capital, it goes bad, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, using one way to get value from blockchain is really through inventory management, including tracing and tracking and uh, verification and, and um, all kinds of things. It's kind of like, you know, one of the examples of the uh, applying blockchain to fresh produce. If you're not using blockchain and one of your suppliers has uh, salmonella in their fresh produce, 
you throw everything away that's on the shelves. If you use blockchain, you just throw away the, the bad produce. So right there, that's that's like a no-brainer benefit from an inventory management perspective, from a transportation perspective. And just nobody likes the thought of wasting all that food either. It's ridiculous. And that's something that does help rally your supply chain partners because you all it's a shared pain point. Right. So Frank Yanis used to say, um, when there's a brat, an outbreak, every farmer is guilty until we find <laughs> until we find the party. So there's really there's really current um, trying to create incentives for everybody to adopt a shared solution. And you have to kind of think through through a lot of that. The other thing that's really interesting, you, you brought up like the IBM Food Trust, um, which was first developed with Walmart, is the first generation applications that we're seeing were not blockchain projects to start off with. These were ecosystem level challenges that parties were trying to get together to solve a problem. They were business led projects. They were not IT led projects. And then typically a technology partner, when they were brought on to help bring this vision to life, that's when, oh, blockchain is ideally suited for this particular situation. We saw that story again and again in these early adoptions. Trade Lens is another application that's out there. It was initially developed by Maersk, and they started these projects internal to Maersk in 2013. And they were uh, just trying to get down the costs of tracking their containers. And when they brought IBM on as their technology partner, IBM showed them, well, you know what, in order for you to remove your pain points, you're going to have to have competitors on this platform. And blockchain technologies are ideally suited to help with what you're trying to accomplish. So really the success stories were business-led projects and the blockchains were just a backstory. Now, Mary, I, I know that this summer, the first adopters of this textbook were graduate students in their MIS programs. How, how did that go? Oh, Matt, I have to brag about our students. So I'm writing this book as fast as I can because I want to use it for the summer class. I want to bring them the most, you know, up-to-date relevant information. But I, I finished the book, but I hadn't had it copy edited yet. And so I was giving them PDFs and of course, you know, nobody's copy edited. So I've got lots of grammatical errors. I have some spelling errors and the students were pointing them out to me and all I did was praise them. I said, we have a new model here for publishing. It's called crowdsourcing the editing. <laughs> and so we started, I started praising them. And so they really helped to improve the quality of the book. But I have to say what I think really was the magic of bringing the book into the classroom is we had guest speakers every Thursday and I would bring somebody who was featured in the book to come talk to our class. And that's when I really saw them get excited and make connections in a way that, wow, this is really real. Well, you brought in some pretty big names too, I noticed. Uh in the blockchain industry, a uh, pretty impressive group. Oh, and they were, they were so delightful of giving their time to our students. You know, uh, Dale Christie, who's the chief blockchain strategist at FedEx, he had come and he had talked to our executive advisory board member firms um, for the Blockchain Center of Excellence. He kind of gave the same speech to our students and the students really engaged with him and were really excited to talk to him. He was telling them about coopetition that he's working with like UPS and DHL because it takes the whole ecosystem in order to get, you know, value from these shared applications. So he really inspired them. 
they also loved hearing from Walmart. So what they were doing with blockchains, not just the IBM Food Trust, but Walmart has a lot of blockchain projects. One of my favorite people that I've met is uh, Colonel James Regener. And you might remember him because he was our keynote speech at our second blockchain for business conference. Retired from the Air Force, used to be a fighter pilot, and said how many times he'd be in the middle of the ocean and couldn't take off because of a missing part. And so his vision was to move the DOD to 3D printing on aircraft carriers. And that's how he got into blockchain, because how do you make sure that the instructions for printing haven't been tampered with? And so he's been on this very long journey and has launched Veritex. He launched Rapid Medical Parts. And and I won't go through all of them. But again, I'm so grateful to um, these very senior people globally recognized for their contributions to blockchain who are willing to give of their time and speak to our students. So, Mary, um, like I said, this is your 30th book, which is more than most people write. (laughs) Even people that write a lot of books don't write 30 books. You must enjoy writing. Once I get started, I enjoy it. But as you well know, the starting of writing is it can be excruciating. And once I'm in it, I love it because I don't I what I do when I write is that's when I figure out what do I think about a topic. So I use it as my personal process to educate myself. I don't write from outlines. I don't like to write book proposals because that suggests you have the whole book planned out. I usually start in the middle and work my way out. And I I agree with you. You know, if you, a lot of times I don't know what I think about something until I write it out. And um, in fact, even in leading in my position as Dean, I write about what I'm doing every day because it helps me think through things. But you put a lot of work into this. So did you start interviewing people and then writing or did you do all the interviews and then start writing? Um, I think it's a process that, you know, emerges over time. So uh, for example, some of the chapters are based on the working papers that we have at the Blockchain Center of Excellence. So one of the working papers we have is on the smart resume project, which you know well, with uh, Dave Wengel, who's the CEO of Adatify. And so I've been working with Dave for two years and decided last January, hey, it's time to like formalize this down into a case study. And so when I came to put it in the book, we just updated a few things. So that's how some of the uh, stories came about and emerged. We also use content from the workshops that we have with the Blockchain Center of Excellence. We have our senior executive advisory board member firms, like that's like J.B. Hunt and Tyson and Walmart and ArcBest, IBM, Golden State Foods, Microsoft. And we get together on topics like shared governance in blockchains or interoperability. So a lot of that content, I get permission, of course, from the participants, a lot of that content went into the chapters on how do you manage all this. So it's got lots of different uh, data sources um, that kind of evolve over time. So Mary, um, what's your favorite application of blockchain that you've ever heard of? Oh, Matt, you're like (laughs) asking me to pick which is my favorite child. (laughs) Uh, So, all right. So you know what? I'm going to pick one. I'll, I'll pick one, but it's not in the book. So I think one of my favorite applications came from our students. So in the summer class, um, they one of their projects, and they, it was only a five-week class, so I found this amazing. So we had four of our students present the idea of how to alleviate student food insecurity 
one college campus at a time. And what they were describing was what we do today is we have food pantries, as you know, and we, we all are always filling things in, but it doesn't give students choice, right? They're either stuck with our five boxes of macaroni and cheese or three cans of tuna fish. They also might feel a little reticent about publicly going to do that. And so what these students figured out is the way that most students get their foods is like 15 or 20 meals a week on a card. And many students do not use those all meals and they just go to waste. So they thought, what if we created an application where students just say, hey, I'm hungry. They could do it anonymously. Nobody will know who they are. And the students that have excess food meals for the week could, could share them in an environment. I just found their application so inspiring. I, I found that, you know, that they care about their fellow students. And so I was, I'm really proud of that idea. And they're working this semester in Dr. Zach Steelman's class to help bring this application to life. Wow, that is remarkable. Um, and that's part of the promise of the internet of value is, you know, how can we exchange value? And in the public, it might be anonymously where you're protecting people's personal information and privacy, but still providing a, a social good. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.